What's up, everybody? Just want to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Jungle Television. Jungle Television is creating gourmet art and streetwear drawn and screen printed by hand here in Portland, Oregon. And uh, this dude, Alex, is making some of my favorite art. And uh, I have a bunch of Jungle Television t-shirts. They are heavy in my rotation and just always blown away by the things that he is making. The Mushroom Hunter jackets are some of my favorites. Those are really dope. But yeah, if you need jackets, shirts, hats, just prints, very cool prints, um, hit this dude up. The Jungle Television link will be in the episode notes along with the Instagram tag. And if you use the code DCP at checkout, you'll get 20% off of your next order. So take advantage of that. Check out the uh, the Jungle Television Instagram, Cruise Alex's Designs. Um, they're very, very dope. And next level, appreciate his support and sponsorship of this thing. Let's start the episode. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support the podcast in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel the podcast into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast. I appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. You can also find the podcast on Spotify now. That is there. And I'm also going to start releasing some monthly playlists on Spotify. So look for that one. The first one coming at you December 1st. I will go ahead and share that up for sure when it is available. Planning on dropping those every first of the month. So look forward to that. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Stoked to get into episode 233. JC Proof is on the show. I chatted it up with the... The band leader, Jeff Chilton, a dude that I have been seeing play music all around the city of Portland, Oregon for the last five years or so, and uh, it was a pleasure to get to actually hang out and talk with Jeff. I've always just seen him in passing or seen him playing on stage, so it was nice to uh, connect with him and get to know him a bit, and uh, we talked about how Jeff came to Portland and got involved in the music scene here. And I think we both had a similar experience of getting to Portland, Oregon and finding some uh, some community quickly here, which uh, I'm extremely grateful for. And uh, we also chatted about the new JC Proof EP that just dropped, which is called Colloquy. It's a three song, and we're going to feature all three tracks on this episode of the podcast. And uh, you can also... Look forward to more music coming out. Sounds like maybe in December there's going to be another EP drop from JC Proof. 
We talked about that a little bit in the conversation as well. Want to give a shout out to Vortex Music Magazine, based out of here in Portland, Oregon. Really killer publication. And they recently did a video premiere for the Our Lament song that we're going to play the episode out with. And we talked about the video as well, but it's a great video. So I'll put the link in the episode notes for the premiere there as well. So you can check that out. Stoked for you to hear some of this music, man. This The band lineup on, on this thing, this JC Proof record, is, uh, is pretty ripping and uh, really digging these tunes. And like I said, this is just a, a really dope opportunity to get to know Jeff and, and hang with him a bit. And uh, if you dig this music, I would also recommend that you check out some High Pulp. They just dropped a new EP on this on this Black Friday. It's called Mutual Attractions Volume 1. And it's uh, three really incredible covers, interpretations of some arrangements from some uh, free jazz legends, such as Alice Coltrane. And uh, it's just a really cool record. King Underground put it out. So check that out as well. If you're, if you're digging these tunes, this definitely sits in a, a similar realm there. But uh, all the links will be in the episode notes so you can keep up with JC Proof, keep up with Jeff Chilton, keep up with myself. And uh, shout out to Jung Telly, Jungle Television, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Shout out to Vortex Music Magazine. And that's all the ramblings I have for you up top. Jeff and I got into a deep conversation. I want to jump into it as soon as possible. So we're going to go ahead and get into this thing. We got episode... 233 of the Dan Cable Presents podcast is coming at you. JC Proof is on the show, and we're going to kick it off with the first track off that Colloquy EP, which is called Forward Flight. Let's do the damn thing. Thank you. 
cool, Jeff. Other than that, I'm ready to. We can jump into things if you're if you're good to go. I'm good to go. I've got my honey pot mason jar of water. So I've got some tea. I've got some water. I've got a little bit of weed. We'll see if that if that comes in into play. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, dude. I'm stoked to to have you on the podcast. I feel like, man, I've been. I feel like I've been seeing you play music around Portland as long as I've lived up here. And that's that's been about seven and a half years and maybe started going out to shows really heavy about five years ago. Um, I don't know if that matches up with the timeline since you've been here. I'm, I'm not sure exactly where you're from. So maybe we can start there. But I feel like I've just seen you play so much music and you're always kind of that dude I would see playing in so many different bands and have probably been a part of a lot of my favorite performances that I've actually seen in this city throughout the years. So that's kind, I guess I can say that you're not making anything up as far as the dates are concerned. Don't worry. Okay. (laughs) You're not completely insane. No, I'm actually, I moved here about five years ago. So that pretty much lines up with what, what what you're saying going out. And uh, those are kind words. I mean, Portland has, been you know kind of what i hoped it would be which is just an artistically rich creative place where there are numerous people of all different stripes you know uh sound artists musicians poets entrepreneurs just people doing original things and that's why i came here to just hop on and uh be inspired by that and to join them collaborate and uplift them when i could and uh you know it's been exciting in the last year and a half two years as i've sort of focused in more on my own output and uh you know culminating with the creation of jc proof and which i'm like you know i call myself the the uh the creative director, you know, so it is a band and there are a variety of people. We, you know, it's a collective to an extent people come in and, and they, they bring their musicianship and their thoughts and talents. Um, and I, I try to, you know, pick those people and then steer them towards a general vision. Um, so it's, it's, I, I feel like JC proof is a product of all those other bands and experiences that I've had in Portland since I moved, you know? Yeah, man. Did you find the the Portland scene to be pretty warm to you right away or very accessible to, to start kind of jamming with people and, and finding your, your crowd? That's such an interesting question. I feel like I, I teeter on either side of the answer there. So when I first came to Portland, um, I remember I came I came in, you know, I came in on the train. I'm from upstate New York originally. Uh, I grew up in Schoharie, which is a little farm valley outside of the capital, Albany. And uh, and then okay. I went to school in Ithaca, which is in the Finger Lakes. It's where also where Cornell is. I didn't go to Cornell. Of course, I went to Ithaca College, the arts school where I studied um, education, music and trombone and jazz. And, uh, you know, I, I came to Portland on the the empire builder the amtrak train with my trombone my guitar and my backpack you know (laughs) so i came into town and i I, first thing i did was i went to alberta street where the community cycling store is and i bought 
a beat up old red Schwinn that I still have to this day. And that first (laughs) summer was pure magic, Dan. It was like me biking around with my trombone on my back. I didn't know a single person in the city that was a musician. I did have two friends from college that I knew, um, but they were involved in other other things. And um, I went to a jam session. Um, oh man, what was it called? It was on Broadway in the basement of a tyrant. Ra- oh, the Basil Bar Jam. Oh, Basil Bar. You know what I'm talking yeah, about, dude. right? Hell yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was like the hive mind. That was the hive mind. Um, yeah. Jam. Oh yeah, I used to go to that. I know. that so, dude, how crazy! Just this tiny little basement of this of this Thai restaurant, just totally unassuming, and there's. There's just like this incredible jam slash cipher there right. on a on a weekly basis. That place was yeah, off the dude. chain, man. And so that was my first experience with like the Portland music community, the hive mind, with Emily leading. And I met Emily and they were really, really kind and, and warm and yeah. inviting to me. And I met um Corey Hepner. You know Corey Hepner, right? Love Corey, and I know he's he's a part of the the JC he, Proof crew. He's the proof, man. He's the proof. He He's one of my fucking favorite <laughs> guitar players that I've met here, man. Yes. He he's such an incredible musician. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's how I met him too, is through right. that that crew of, of folks at that that high mind jam. Shout out Corey Hefner. Much love. Shout out Corey. Yeah. <laughs> so I met Corey and I to this day I I keep telling him, I'm like, Corey, you were the first musician who remembered my name. Because I went to the jam one week and I met some people and I played a bit and I met Corey. And then I came back the next week and Corey was like, Oh hey, Jeff. And th- <laughs> it just warmed my heart, dude. So did I find the Portland uh musician community warm? I found Corey Hefner to be warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, Corey's a good good dude. I feel like I that's my I have a similar interactions with with Corey since the beginning. He's the type of guy that remember like remembers your name after you've had some sort of uh right hang with him or some sort of interaction. Um was it intimidating for you at all to kind of throw yourself in the mix that way or were you kind of used to these kind of situations where you just show up to a jam with your instrument and get in when you can? Yeah, I it, it it was intimidating to some extent. Portland's the only city where I've ever lived and been a part of uh, the musical scene. You know, I grew up in upstate New York and I went to school up there, but that's a totally different thing. Um, I've have plenty of friends who live in New York City, but it's never been a place that resonated with me and that I wanted to call home. So I was only ever a tourist there. So I came to Portland, and you know. It, I, I, I'm a I'm an extrovert to an extent. Like I really like meeting people, um, but there is a certain um, I, I I would probably use the word clickiness in Portland, and I think I don't even necessarily think it's a bad thing. I just think that it's the perfectly sized town where people get to know a group of musicians or artists that they resonate with and then they're able Mm. to just kind of silo off and make a bunch of things with those people and they don't really need to meet anybody else and that's okay but as an outsider it can be a little bit scary because you look and you see these circles and you're like oh i want to be part of that but like you know maybe they already kind of already have a trombone player that's that's their thing or or just the energies don't match up and you know that's just how it is but it is a little bit weird so kind of getting your footing and and finding your people when you come to a new place uh and i I was thankful for the hive mind because i felt like there was a lot of people there that were looking to do the same thing were looking to find their people at the that those jams Mm -hmm. so yeah 
I th- I think that's pretty accurate, man. I mean, it there's definitely just so many small pockets of the music scene here. And within those pockets, it's maybe, you know, four to six different groups or bands or artists that all kind of, you know, hang in that in that circle and they might play a lot of shows together and like you're saying, it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's it's just, you know, it can maybe feel a little uh a little clicky from looking at it that way. Yeah, and you know, you wanna we want to interact or link those circles, but figuring out the how to do that is challenging and it's something that I've been thinking more about, like um, especially, you know, during lockdown right now, it's a good time to reset and think about um, strategies going forward for how to mm. interact with the city at large. Because one one thing that I've been thinking about a lot, um, we when I first came to Portland, it was all about, hey, how could I meet other musicians that I want to play with, other people that are making cool music that I like? You know, basically people like me or like you, you know, who are really on the ground level of the the art scene. Um, But now I realize that I actually want to play my music for people who are not in the art scene because people who are uh, doing jobs that are less artistically minded or, I mean, there's tons of creativity in all lines of work, but I guess what I mean is they're not directly involved in the musical scene. Those people are the people who are hungry for... Um, local independent artists' products. You know, I hesitate to use the word product, but in a lot of yeah. ways, art and music is a product, and I want right. I want to I want to do a service for people, and so I'm trying to figure out how to connect to those people, and I want all of us to do that too. So that's what's been buzzing on my head. Yeah, no, that makes sense, especially because I think Portland's such a funny place to go to shows on the local level because you see so many other local Portland musicians at those shows. It's like often the people in the crowd is, are the Portland musicians or other artists, right? which is really interesting (laughs) and can also make it extremely difficult to determine, uh, how many people are going to come out to your show on a particular night. It can be very deceiving. I think at times of it's like, Oh, I got Friday night at one of, the premier venues and you think it's like a lock and then you know that there's two or three other shows that night that are also amazing and it's going to really split the crowd right because they're all in your same bubble and you realize it's you know what it is it's the uh it's the church choir being larger than the congregation situation (laughs) you know I, my dad is a he was a, a choir director and church organist for 30 years at at a church in schenectady and the choir uh, many a Sunday was as large or if not larger than the congregation. I think that's the situation in Portland. Yeah. So did you grow up, uh, Pops was a musician and just kind of around that from a young age? Pretty much, yeah. My dad's a piano player. Uh, shout out Douglas Chilton. Love him to death. He's he's still around, don't worry. But Hell yeah. I, I made, uh, you know, the prayer sign with my hands. But. <laughs> He's with us, everyone. <laughs> He's with us. That's right. He's with us here in the physical realm. Hell um, yeah. Yeah. No, dad was, dad's a music teacher. He just retired, actually. And he was a pianist. And so he, you know, he played Sundays at the church. And I was in the choir in high school with him. And then he would play sort of um, lounge piano at different spots in town sometimes. And then he taught during the week at a school. 
So, yeah, so music was always something that was happening in the house. My mom was more of a classical music appreciator. She can be very snobby. She would show up. She would go to, like, our all-county concerts because I played trombone, you know, so I would go to all-county and those sort of band geek things. Um, and the there was always a string ensemble. And unfortunately, at a young age, strings can never play in tune. <laughs> And, bro, you should have seen my mom's face at these concerts. She would try so hard, but she would just, she would make the the worst faces. <laughs> just. Just rough. Ugh. Do you, uh, do you gravi- gravitate toward, towards the, uh, the tunes and music then pretty, pretty quickly on your own when you were a kid? I mean... I think it was just always around. Like I remember, I remember, you know, dan- we would like push the couches aside on New Year's Eve and we'd blast Michael Jackson and, and just the four of us, you know, we lived off in like a big country house, like, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So we'd have like a little family party. And I remember like dancing to the music and loving it, but it probably wasn't until high school where I really got serious about music. I mean, I played trombone since fifth grade in the band um, and I liked it, but it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do this till the day i die you know it was just kind of a thing i didn't really think too much about it. i was just busy being a kid i think for sure and was the trombone the first instrument that you picked up yep that was the one yeah i remember Mm. going to the the school the little band tryout and they let you hold all the instruments you know and my brother he he, i have an old one older brother who was a french horn player so you know so i went up to the french horn person like thinking like oh i already know how to play french horn (laughs) <laughs> Thank God I didn't choose French horn, though, honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah, and were you were you starting to build your kind of build your own music collection and stuff, and and geeking out on on music quite a bit as you got into high school? Yeah, starting to do more of that. Although I had some embarrassing tastes, I would say the the silver lining with my early music listening was definitely my dad because yeah, I would walk into his room and he had this old library card catalog um thing like you know the dewey decimal system yeah so he had one of those with all the drawers but instead of library cards they're all filled with cds oh no way yeah so i would just open that up and he had like michael jackson super tramp earth wind and fire and um kind of and yes he had like a lot of prog rock a lot of a lot of funk and a lot of like 70s pop. He was a huge Beatles fan. So I pretty much listened to all of his stuff. And then on my own time, I, I regret to tell you that my, my other musical tastes were informed by the 13-year-old girls that I was trying to hang out with. Let's and so, go. Yeah. So I had, you know, Green Day, All-American Rejects, and God, I don't even, Dashboard Confessional, like that yeah, kind man. of. The jams. Yeah. The jam, you know. I mean, hey. honestly, I was just playing acoustic guitar, like doing a little bit of that stuff right before we got on. So, yeah, like <laughs> your your musical palette has to be informed somewhere. Like, there's got to be a start to it, you know. And that's that's maybe not the most advanced music to to date in in the uh, the catalog of tunes available. But right, it doesn't have the staying power. Yeah, but. I don't know. A lot of that shit's super fun still, and it has its place and its and its time. You know. I think so too. Thank you for not embarrassing me. You had an opportunity here. Yeah, I just uh, I don't know, man. I just can't <laughs> imagine that that every person that feels like maybe they have a cool r- quote unquote record collection now 
started off with those same tastes, you know, and maybe not every, maybe not every kid did feel the need that to like really go hard for Blink 182 at one point, you know, maybe they skipped over that yeah, and went they missed right out in, if they did. Yeah. And they went right into like the dinosaur junior and the pavement and all the, all the cool pop punk and punk rock. Like, I don't know, man, you know, there's right. gotta be, there's gotta be a path somewhere before you become the jazz head or something, you know, totally. or get really deep into understanding all the the nuances of like prog rock and stuff like that right i I, i'm with you man i'm with you and like that's the thing you know music you don't have control over what gets put in front of you especially i mean so i'm 27 i'm about to be 28 and so i grew up and we didn't have we had dial-up internet you know i remember hearing (laughs) <laughs> and my brother would be like, I'm on the phone. <laughs> so like, I couldn't just go and listen to whatever I wanted to. Like I basically had the CDs that were in my dad's collection. And then whatever my friend told me to get from what, what, what was that store that was in the mall? I remember going to the CD store, like FYE, I think it was F-Y-E, called. FYE, there was that one for sure. There was like Sam Goody was a thing in some places. Right. Yeah, man. And like there, was, I, I, there wasn't any hip record stores near where I lived. Where, where did you grow up, Dan? I grew up in Southern California in the suburbs, like, I don't know, 40 miles outside of LA. So not, there wasn't any, there definitely wasn't anything like cool and hip where I grew up either. It was kind of similar to what you're talking about. Maybe there was like a downtown record store somewhere, but that was before I even got into vinyl records and, and right. things like that. And You're like, I know there's some cool stuff happening in LA over here, but I'm separate from that right now. Yeah. I, I, and I don't know, man. This is like, I'm, I'm sure there was some, some cool records in the, the regular FYE. There's some, there's some good music somewhere in there, but it's like you said, it's like, what what are you actually hearing? And what's your accessibility to where music is being played and stuff, you know? Right. Yeah, I definitely wish growing up I had been able to go to like underground house show concerts and that sort of thing. I remember getting to college and going to my first under like my first house show and just having my mind blown. I was like, this is so cool. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm I'm 35 now. So when I moved up to Portland, I was 27. And I I don't know that I had ever experienced anything like the Pacific Northwest house show scene. You know, I'd been to, you know, maybe some some house shows in the suburbs of California, but they were usually backyard shows, just just reckless backyard shows. But nothing to the extent where you you just walk down the stairs to this dirty basement right. and have no idea what to expect. And sometimes it's like an incredibly pro setup. Like someone's really gone hard on their, their home, you know, show setup and it's really dope. And sometimes it's just super raw and mm-hmm. I don't know, man, it's, there's nothing like it. There isn't. I like the roulette wheel of that too. Yeah. dude. You know, you just really never know. I would say that's one thing that um, I've missed most during lockdown is just those off-the-cuff house show, low-key low hangs where people are being really musical and creative. And, I mean, I can't go to some of the house shows. When I first moved to Portland, I was a bit younger, you know, just because 
the crowd can be a little bit young, but there's I love Portland because there are so many house venues of people of all different ages and doing all different kinds of things, you know. So like shout out to the honey pot. I told you I got my honey pot. Yeah, um, yeah. mason jar. Uh, the Laura and Away, two good friends of mine. It's actually where the band JC Proof rehearses, and they were just running the most beautiful house venue, and um, I, I really miss it, man. I really do. Yeah, man. It's I just miss seeing music. Mm-hmm. Like, have you been? I know you've you've played it a little bit, right? Maybe some sidewalk kind of <laughs> gigs or some some outdoor. All right, two things about sidewalk gigs. First, yeah, of all, let's let's talk about sidewalk gigs. All right, I am a a huge, huge, huge proponent of the sidewalk gig, or you know, the busking. Okay. And I, I actually, I ever since I moved to Portland, that's been a part of my hustle. Was is going down to the Portland Farmers Market, or sorry, the Portland State Farmers Market. You know that one? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's on Saturdays, and I would play jazz tunes with guitarist friends of mine, and I have gotten. <laughs> private gigs fat tips wedding things like it's incredible honestly because people love music but they hate leaving their house at 7 p.m when it starts to drizzle yeah (laughs) this is true (laughs) this is very true um so i've always i've always been into like busking on the sidewalk and and trying to make that a part of, of of a grind um and I also spent a little bit of time in New Orleans when I was um, I was working on cruise ships for a bit after college, and we ported in New Orleans. And I think that seeing those musicians working that sidewalk game so hard mm. was really inspirational to me because I don't know if you've ever been down to New Orleans or the French Quarter, but they are doing it there all day, all night. Yeah, it just gave you the feeling that you could kind of do that wherever you could set up shop to exactly i'm like hey there's enough people here to make it worthwhile to blast some trombone for an hour yeah i do feel like portland's a good city for something like that too like busking in general i feel like there's there's a good amount of people that are maybe gonna stop for a few minutes and see what's going on totally you know maybe throw a few dollars in the hat we can only hope virtual tip jar now i don't know if it's as good i like i like cash man i'm all about cash yeah yeah, there's not there's not a whole lot of that cash circulating no. during the uh, the virtual shows. Oh, I know. Well, live st- if we're talking about live streams, that's a tough one. Yeah, I don't I don't know, man. It's a it's a whole new battle. It, this this live stream things. Have you personally done much live streaming? We've or, done or been two. a part of performances. Mm-hmm. So JC Proof did two with PDX Couch Tours, and um, a really. I'm really, really grateful because they gave us a platform to have a gig so I could get the band together in a safe way, you know, be motivated to make music. It was cool because some of my family and friends are on the East Coast, and so I was able to play for them, which is something that we hadn't done before. So that yeah. was really cool. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, music is about bringing people together, and mm-hmm. it's just not the same when you're in your living room. Um I don't know. What what do you think? I know that when I tune into a live stream, like it's so good and it can be the most killing cats playing. Uh, but the attention span just isn't quite the same for me. Yeah, I totally agree, dude. It can be my favorite person playing this live stream. And it's kind of it's hard to keep me around. You know, I'm, I'm maybe interested for a few songs. Maybe I'm interested for one. 
you know? And then I'm kind of right. like, cool. I understand what this is going to be. You know, it doesn't feel like anything. Ex- I, maybe, maybe it feels like nothing exciting is really going to happen or something. Right. It's to possible. some degree, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. I, I obviously totally understand people are trying to figure out how to do the thing still though. And like, Totally. How to how to make a living, or you know, big time f- feed themselves and whatnot. So I'm all about, you know, throwing my dollars towards it. I just can't say if I'm like if I spend that, you know, five to twenty dollars, whatever it is for this particular right. live stream. I don't know if I'm gonna stick around for the whole thing, but happy to support it still. <laughs> totally, and yeah, that's like the other side of it. Is of course we want to support, and I mean it's a pleasure to be supported. Like you do a live stream, and like people did give money, and that was really nice. And it was, you know, we were able to get PDX couch tour paid, and like a little bit of money for people in the band and all that. But yeah, I, I almost wonder. I'm like, okay, so if I'm watching a live stream at home, if I had a dedicated room with like a full size. Um, movie theater style TV and like surround sound speakers, then that that might be give me give me that sort of excitement that you're talking about to make me yeah. stick around. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, yeah, and I think it's just like whatever. I guess it depends on the abilities of of the stream itself and like right. how high quality can we get? Like, how much can we make this feel like your Maybe not in the room, but watching a concert like you would any other concert on TV. Like just tuning into a YouTube show of of an older performance or a studio performance. You know, even if you can make it feel like it's some KEXP performance. Totally. It's nice in studio, then that's a that's a win, I think, you know? Absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I was uh, just thinking about how maybe the a better thing for me as a artist or JC proof is the band instead of trying to get these live streams together i i i think i would rather just make uh performance pieces that are designed for online consumption i see you nodding yeah i think i i think i'm into that for sure i think i'm more likely to even like check that out too right you know the whole the whole thing of even with the live stream of it being at a certain time, I think can even be rough, you know, even though, you know, obviously people traditionally make time to go to a show or go to a movie right. at a certain time. I think it feels different somehow. So it's, it's, it's nice like we're when faking these, it. Yeah. It's nice when these things can just be available later as well, I guess, if you have a, a good totally. setup, but yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, the live stream can be available later, but if it's billed as a live stream, then you're watching it later. That's a little bit. Yeah. I think it works for some things and probably doesn't for others, but I don't know. It's it's cool to see everybody's efforts try to come together to, to just keep things alive. So I'm about that on all fronts. Yeah, man. Me too. I'm just, I don't know. I mean, I'd probably watch... I might be more interested though in like watching somebody like put up a live stream to their studio session or something, you know, or like I like that. Hey, we're mixing the record right now, and like, and then it's more the of room. a hang, and people are shooting the shit and goofing yeah. around, you know. Yeah. But I yeah. also understand that you know you don't always want like in- that entire thing open to the world either. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a hang sometimes, and and I don't know, so. 
I don't know. People will figure it out. Yeah, well, and, and, and things are, you know, it's not going to be locked down forever. But I, I, I think that some, some of the innovations that people come up with, you know, we will keep. And, and I like the idea. Actually, so I was thinking about like a live stream and then having people commenting on it in a hang-like way. That could be, I think that would be interesting. You know, to have that interaction and make the music is almost like secondary. But see, I don't like that because it's secondary, mm. you know, and that's what makes it tough. Yeah, that's kind of cool, though, like. If you, if you can figure it, you know, if you're just kind of the the house party band. Right. You know, where there's just like, yeah, I came to this hang and there's a band playing. Right. 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 Yeah. You have almost and, have like a Zoom meeting, but then it's a, oh, it'd be like a watch party of a pre recorded concert. Hmm. Something yeah. like that. There we go. Thanks, Dan. I can dig it. I can dig it. <laughs> um, no, I, I do appreciate the the creativity that this whole situation has forced upon the folks that want to keep pursuing their art, you know, cause I think some people are probably just going to put things on pause, but for some folks, like that's not, that's not an option and it's not, Talk about it's it. not like what they want for their life. So they're forcing, you know, they're figuring out different ways. And I think that's, that's good to see. And it's good. It's probably a good thing just to, I don't know, when you, when you push through something like this, I would imagine, you know, you put so much energy into your, your band or your music or whatever, whatever art you're doing to like, I don't know, have it derailed by this bogus year is rough. But if you can make it through that, I think that that instills something inside of you, like moving forward as well and like shows how much you believe in your shit and how rooted you are in like what you want for your life or like what enriches your life. Yeah. You know? so. 110% man. I've been thinking about that. Just like the concept of pushing against something, making you stronger. You know, we all, we know that we know what that's like to overcome an obstacle makes the right. next one easier. So 2020 is definitely an obstacle. 2020 is a rough one, man. 2020 is, is deep. Um, it's deep it's it's on deep. all the levels we're getting it hit. is it is um talk to me about when you started i don't know when things shifted for you mentally where you really started getting stoked about music and you started to maybe feel like this was going to be your path a little more long term or at least up until this point right um uh so i remember i was in high school and i had a passion and some aptitude at music, of course, but I also had a passion and some aptitude for physics and engineering. And so I was torn um, about my junior year because I wasn't sure if I wanted to pursue um, higher education in music, which, you know, would potentially be financially unstable and everyone was telling me would be a really challenging life with no guarantees and blah 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 or you know pursuing more of a math science type thing which seemed very practical and was enjoyable to an extent um and uh, probably more lucrative you know the money thing i was like all right well i could probably make some money as an engineer you know college yeah. would probably suck let's be honest but and i i just decided i was like you know what i don't want to make choices in my life based on scarcity based on finances um and so, and so I, I, you know, I dropped out of whatever math class I was like, I dropped out of calculus. I think I, I did be, because I decided that I wanted to go into music and my principal, my guidance counselor 
And my math teacher called me in to this like conference and my mom was there too. And they're like, we don't think you should drop calculus because one day you might decide you don't want to do music and you're going to need calculus. And I was like, whoa, they, they called me in for an intervention, Dan. It was, <laughs> it was the calculus intervention. Jeff, we need to speak with you. <laughs> Seriously. No, it was out of love, of course. Um, and look at me now, you know, old raggedy Jeff here in Portland. Maybe they were right. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, I'm Jeff very might fulfilled. might have been able to use that calculus here this year. Yeah, I might have. Yeah, during 2020, exactly. <laughs> if I had only had calculus. Um, so that was that moment when I was like, oh, you know what? I'm actually don't need this class right now because I'm practicing audition music. You know, that was like the point where I decided I wanted to do music seriously. But even then, I, I was I was afraid. And so I went for music education and I am very passionate as a music educator. And I have a private trombone studio and I love it. And I do a lot of teaching around town. And it's how I make the bulk of my income because it's just a much more lucrative way to be involved in music. Um, right. But and so I'm glad, actually, that I went for music education. But it, it's been hard to kind of allow myself to go all in on it because I can be kind of practical. You know, I still do have that math mind where I'm, like, crunching numbers and, like, okay, well, I want to be able to pay the bills. And, like, I don't want to rely on my parents, you know, because, like, they're paying my phone bill. And I was like, you know, I want to be independent. But at the same time, being an artist, it's really hard to, to make all the ends meet. Um, so I, honestly, I would say in the last couple of years, I've started believing more and more as, in myself and being like, yeah, I can, you know, just be um, just be an artist and like play gigs and like teach some students and make it all work. And no, I'm not going to be wealthy. Um, but if I make music that I love and that I'm passionate about um, and that helps people and heals people or intrigues them, then I think I can be a part of a community that's willing to support me in that endeavor. And I, I believe that and I have faith in that now. So. Amen. Here's my prayer hands again. Douglas <laughs> Chillin. No, but truly. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of your pops though, like did, seeing him playing gigs as a kid and stuff like that. Do you, do you feel like that made it feel any more tangible to you that this could be part of your life long term? You know, and I know you said he was a teacher as well. Man, I'm seeing some some wisps. Have we entered phase two? <laughs> yeah, we've we're you know we're burning one down for you here, Jeff. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, it's a dude. Social distancing joint. Yeah, exactly. You're like putting it up to the Zoom camera, you know. <laughs> Man, that's funny. Yeah, dude. I, it's funny. I I think I think that we sort of stand on the shoulders of people that come before us, and even even more so with our family. So I, I would say that I'm able to do whatever I'm able to do in music pretty much directly because of my dad and just him uh, kind of sticking with it his whole life. You know, he's, he's made his living um, in the school, but he's always done other stuff too. And now I'm kind of like a step away from that where I don't have like a full-time school job, but I still teach private studio and I'm, you know, making my own album, making my own stuff, which he never quite did that. And I imagine that if I were to have children, um, they would maybe be positioned to be another step, whatever that looks like. Um, or at least I like I like that idea of sort of, you know, trying to trailblaze a little bit for people that come after me or even just people that I interact with. If You know, I teach a lot of young people. So if I can kind of inspire them to trust themselves and maybe trust themselves a little earlier than I trusted myself. Yeah, dude. 
It's uh, it's cool when you see people catch on to it earlier than yourself. I think absolutely. That's been that's been something super special and inspiring for me. Getting so kind of locked into what was happening here musically, and meeting so many different musicians, and especially the ones that were. 10 years younger than me or you know right maybe like five or six years younger like yourself or you know it's uh it is it is a cool thing when you see someone has recognized that they kind of have their uh the blueprint for their shit like in their hands you know mm. and the quicker they like start investing in in themselves and the things that they enjoy like they can maybe unlock some some doors that they didn't know were were possible or you know absolutely i'm all about unlocking those doors and the thing is is that there's always going to be somebody who comes to it before you before me i mean that's just the way of it there's like 17 year old musicians who get blow up you know right but then again there's also people that do their thing and come to whatever they're going to come to later in life. I always look at a guy like Charles Bradley. I don't I know if you're familiar. Say, dude, Charles, like he's the fucking prime example of this, right? That guy is my hero. Uh, RIP. Ah, uh, dude. Did, um, you, did you see him at Pickathon when he was there? You play, You played that year, right? I did. Yeah. Or did you play with Johnny Cool that year? That I think that was the Johnny Cool year. Yep. Yeah. And that was a good one, man. That was a great show. Was that your first Pickathon? Yeah, that was my first and one of two I've done. So I did that one with Johnny Cool. And then the next year, I got the most random call to play with Broken Social Scene, which was oh, awesome. Oh, you played a part of that? Yeah. That's so sick. It was I rad, saw, man. Yeah, dude. I saw that in your credits. I didn't think to kind of plug it in as maybe a part of the the Pickathon set. But that's yeah. cool that, that that was your first year, the the year that Charles Bradley played, and, yep. and maybe some of his last shows there, because he, Dude, it he was. passed pretty shortly after, right? I know. Isn't that crazy? That's so insane, man. Uh, just hearing Charles Bradley's voice travel through the woods while mm. you're kind of like maybe not even that close to the stage, and you can just hear that dude's voice bouncing off the trees. God damn. Pickathon. Yo, Pickathon changed my life. Okay, tell me. It just that 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 place is just I think a pretty magical fucking I don't use that that word very often, magical. magical. Um but maybe you should I use it more. Like, I feel like there's no better word to de- kind of describe that festival and just the whole experience of it. But uh the for that first year that you played with Johnny Cool was the first year that they asked me to do interviews with the bands. Awesome. So I got to do a bunch of the the on camera videos for like the Pickathon YouTube channel. That and must have been really cool, dude. It was so sick. I just got to hang out all day and talk with really good musicians, right? And uh, and have the keg of beer, right? Because they got the kegs all over the place there, dude. They just take care of the the bands and the staff are so well. really well taken care of. It's pretty. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. And. Uh, so, Who did yeah, you was, talk to that year? Oh, the first year, uh, Mike Capes, Sweet. which was cool. I got yeah. to talk to like a couple of the locals, but my favorite thing that year is I got to, to talk with Ghost Note. Oh, cool! Yeah, those and guys that are was yeah, dude. It was it was really dope to chat. Like I got to talk with Nate and Sput, and just fucking unreal dudes. But 
yeah, I've gotten to do that the last few years now since then. And it's just been the thing I look forward to most mm. every summer. I was like, I'm whether I'm doing this, these interviews or not, I'm coming to this festival, I think. Yeah. Every year. Just because it's 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 such a vibe. I've it never really, seen anything like it. No, it's one of the best that I've ever been to. They just do it right. I think it's Portland's music community at its finest. Yeah. And it's cool because they they purposely try to not attract a ton of people. So you have this festival of maybe like 4,000 people. And it just like any set you go and see, you can like be comfortable and you're not surrounded by an insane amount of people. Yeah. And you camp right on the grounds. You're right. camping like a 10 minute walk from a stage. Might be uphill, but it's there. Yeah, dude, it's a, it could be a journey. Could be a journey, everyone. That's crazy. That's quite the tangent about Pickathon. We love but, it. Shout out Pickathon um, next year. We were gonna, yeah. I was gonna go this year, my girlfriend and I, but uh, you know, Pickathon 2021. I'm with it. We're with it. How do? What do you think? Uh, teaching does for your own creative process is that something that just really fuels the fire and kind of shifts your your thoughts on things regularly? Definitely hit or miss. <laughs> no, um, truly. But, you know, so I would say I've got a few students that are trombone players that would have walked circles around me with their knowledge compared to when I was their age. And that is so exciting because they push me to be a better player and I basically get to sit down with them for an hour and listen to some of the best trombone players that have ever lived, transcribe them, talk about what makes them work, work on our technique. I mean, that's all the stuff that I need to be doing anyways. So to, to, to get paid to do that is like a dream for sure and is really inspiring. And then, you know, I, I start sixth graders, so they've never experienced the instrument before. And that's beautiful mm. because if I can spark somebody's passion in music or the trombone, which is kind of, I mean, let's be honest, it's a little bit of an underrated instrument. It's a little bit lesser known. You know, it's, there's not a trombone in every band. There should be. <laughs> <laughs> if I had my way. <laughs> You'd have a lot more gigs that way. That's, now you're talking. <laughs> Just going after that paper. That's dope, though, that you have the opportunity to kind of lay the foundation for some of these kids then, maybe a first instrument. It could be a Definitely, first instrument, you yeah, know, for first sure. time with the, the 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 trombone, though. The trombone, or or it might be the thing that makes them never want to do music again. Cause it, <laughs> I mean, the trombone's hard, dude. Dan, these sixth graders, they came and they came and reach. I mean, they're barely coordinated to walk, and now I'm asking them to do all these things. Ah. Yeah. How long? I mean, I feel like you might you might tell me that you know you're always trying to master the thing and learn new new things about the the instrument which yeah. i get but like how how many years in did did you start to feel really comfortable on the instrument like where you could jump into a jam and and really right. hold your own and and play tastefully yeah i know what you mean it's like you want to get to that point where there's not a boundary between what you want to express and your ability to express it and for me, I've always been a player that needs to be on the horn regularly to be able to make, keep that up. 
You know, so if like if I take a week or two and I don't play the trombone at all because maybe I'm traveling and I just couldn't bring it with me and I like need to go home to see family or something. When I get back, I feel inhibited in my expressive abilities and I hate that. Um, so I, I, th- I think that, you know, it's a practice for me in the same way that um, um, a meditator might say they do a daily meditation or a yoga, a yogi might stretch regularly. Um, I have to, I have to do that daily exercise, even if it's just a short, like 20 minute thing, you know, to stay loose and have that expression. But the point where I got got there was probably, um, you know, here and there in college and then on my cruise ship days. But that was a lot more of note reading, you know, here's a piece of music, you got to play it a little bit less of what does Jeff want to say, you know, and then I came to Portland. And I love this city because everybody here, we want to express, you know, like we, people want to just be their own individual self here. Like that's the, one of the things that to me makes Portland amazing. And the, in the music, it's true too. So when I came here and I started going to those jams, I was a little bit, maybe not quite to that point that you're talking about, at least how I felt, you know, we're always overly critical of ourselves, but those experiences were what pushed me over that edge where I can now be at the point where I'm excited to jump in on different styles and in different Mm. jams. And I mean, there's heavy cats in Portland that I would be nervous to play with, you know, like I've jammed with Charlie Brown sometimes and like, he's just so killing and is so well regarded on the scene. So anytime that there's an opportunity, your shook black was doing a jam at lightning wills last winter. And I remember going to that and it was so much fun because those were guys that I really respected, but hadn't gotten a chance to play with a ton. And so I was always nervous, um, but it felt so good. And we just had some really musical moments. I remember we played Mercy, Mercy, Mercy one time. And it just like all the cylinders were firing. It was a beautiful thing. So Hell I would say yeah. Portland gave me that, to be honest with you. Like this, I, I, call, I consider myself a late bloomer to some extent. And this something about this city with all the water mm. and the soil, you know, it just <laughs> nourish me, Dan, nourish me. Yeah, dude. I, I feel similarly as far, you know, it's a different different realm of things, but I, dude, I was never this connected to any sort of community before coming up to Portland and just kind of diving in and figuring out what I wanted my role to be in right. some ways and totally and uh, letting that kind of will me in a certain direction, but I would also imagine that that it had to be pretty validating for yourself when you started getting so many offers for bands to for you to play during their live sets at at some of these you know bigger venues and stuff. One of my favorite shows um, that you were a part of was the first time Tribe Mars played at Dougfer. You played with them. I know that was awesome. That was really dope because Sean played too. Yeah. So there's two horns. Um, yeah, but I don't know. You started popping up, Jeff, like in in all of these bands that I really like, and so. Hell yeah, man! I know that was, and I I miss Tribe Mars. I don't know if they're doing anything right now. Those guys. I lived with Brett for a little bit too at the Chateau. Oh fuck yeah! Yeah, beautiful music. God, I know, and and just being able to kind of hang and create some sounds in different styles that you know, people weren't doing. Sorry. What I mean, what I mean to say is that I had the opportunity to play with some bands that were doing really uniquely Portland things. I would say you know, like yeah. Tribe Mars is a prime example of that, you know, kind of that 
wet Portland sound, you know, with these interesting harmonies mixed with lots of other elements, you know, hip hop, R and B, you name it. And I, I, I think that's I think Portland's got a really cool thing going. Yeah, for sure. But I I imagine that that started to feel pretty good when you started getting so many offers to do these things and getting getting offers to do cool things like pickathon sets and whatnot. Yeah, it's kind of weird because you never know when you could get a call for something. I mean, there's not a ton of work like that. So I feel like Portland is a little bit more community based. You know, it's more about like friendships and stuff, which is which is a beautiful thing. But um, it's one one. I had a teacher once who said that being an artist is is complicated because on the one hand, you feel validated when you're really busy and like you're getting calls to do stuff or people are interested in having you play in their groups, but then like you don't have enough time for yourself or your own creative thing, you know? And so it's kind of been nice uh, with the shift I've experienced because now I feel like, you know, there's nothing going on. So I can really pour all my energy into JC proof or like things that are closer to home, but it's hard because you don't have that validation like you're talking about. Yeah. I hear you, man. I mean, how do you keep going right now? I mean, I don't know, man. I I guess I just really fucking like doing this Mm. because I I have a day job. You know, I've had the same day job since I started doing this podcast, and you know, it'd be cool to uh, to cut the strings and get some real real sponsorship for things like this and other things of this nature. But Nike, if you're listening, um, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, Nike, if you want to support a local Portland based podcast, we can go ahead and we can we can we can sign for that. You know, I'll do it for real cheap. I'll do it for real cheap. It can be a write off for you. You heard him say it. I don't know, man. I just dig it. And it's uh, like, dude, I've seen you play music so much. And I know that you and I have like said what's up to each other at shows and shit. But this is the first time we've ever had a conversation. I know. It's great. I'm so glad it's happening finally. And and uh like this <clears throat> challenges me, I guess, in in a lot of ways to often have conversations with strangers. Mm. So it's like, I feel like that has to better me in some way. Like it's got to be good right. to do that and work those like social skills and hopefully, hopefully just like gain a really large perspective for some things, you know, connect with a lot of different people. Yeah. And uh, feeds your brain in a way. Yeah, and I just want to keep doing it, and there we can still do it just like this. Right. You know, and I feel like also this is, uh, you know, some if if I'm taking advantage of this time correctly, there's probably some some artists that I really want to talk to that are locked up at home and maybe have nothing better to do that normally wouldn't want to spend their time doing something like this for an hour or two, you know? Right. So I don't know, man. Just trying to... I just want to keep doing the thing. So yeah, in a lot of ways, you know, a podcast is the perfect activity for you know the winter that we're looking ahead to because you know what else? I mean, when I call my dad, what I'm I'm basically having a conversation with him. I mean, right. it's on even it can be on Facetime on the computer the same way as we are now. It's no different. You Absolutely. I've been I've been looking forward to this evening because, um, excuse me, I have to burp. You can cut You're that good. out. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> my girlfriend is down in Eugene, um, Jackie. She actually sings with JC Proof sometimes too, which is really beautiful. But okay. she's down in Eugene. She's going back to school for product design. And so my evenings now, I'm just like 
I live by myself. I come home. There's no rehearsals. There's no gigs, you know, because everybody's <laughs> kind of keeping it, keeping it tight. And so to have an opportunity to just chop it up and like talk about music or whatever, you know, is like kind of what what we're trying to do anyways to stay right. stay stimulated stay fresh yeah. <laughs> yeah man i'm about it um and like you said i gotta imagine since there are no there's not a lot of other projects for you to have to be putting your energy into right now so this is kind of just open time for you to pursue your own creative ideas and your jc proof stuff and and things like that just digging into composing new tunes and and things of that nature yeah just trying to trying to stay creative and so the three the three songs that are coming out because i should probably talk about it at some point the three songs that are coming out on um saturday i think they are it's called colloquy and um they were written about a year ago and so it's been a long time coming for them to come out. Okay. Which is interesting. They 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 were originally going to be a part of one cohesive album, but now I've released everything a little bit more piecemeal. Um, but it actually serves the music, which is interesting. We had two singles that came out um, individually, and then this three track EP, and these songs kind of all work together well. And and uh, so there's forward flight, and then there's limestone, and then there's our lament. And they're all pretty introspective and about specific concepts, I would say, like slightly brainy concepts. Um, so they, they work well together. And so I named the EP Colloquy, which is like a uh, potentially a theological conversation because all those concepts were rooted in uh, my sort of outlook on reality and my 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 life or just humanity and some some kind of crazy concepts. Should I tell you a little bit about some of the concepts? Yeah, for sure, dude. I mean it it feels it feels heady. I'm into it. Good. Um and yeah, I've definitely been been digging the tunes, so I'd love to hear Sweet. as much as you would like to share. I think we're gonna we'll probably get into to limestone here. Good. I like that one. That's uh, also Luis. I shared that track with Luis Acasio the other week, a friend of mine, and he said he liked that one too. So we got so there's a thumbs up for Limestone. Talk, talk to me about like some of uh... yeah. So Limestone, we wanted to. I wanted to write something that would give Corey a chance to use his finger picking style. Dude, it's so fucking cool. The acoustic guitar. Yeah. On this track, just gives it such a different vibe than anything else on the on the record right so i think it's it's really dope for that and then just the playing is so so sick sweet dude. thanks man yeah cory yeah. cory originally learned um you know to play finger pick style and so he came to the more traditional um you know, pick and jazz style a little bit later. So he loves going back to that. And I was the thing, the thing about JC proof is that I, I'm always writing with players in mind specifically. Mm. And so to take advantage of that, I was, I was pretty happy with it. And then we went into jackpot studios and, you know, and he brought his guitar in and we had him, we had him all set up. I love how much we're talking about Corey, by the way, it's great. <laughs> we had him set up in his own little booth and uh, and he just you know killed it and like we we played it all live together which was really fun and the other other people on that track are Keith Cheek on flute on that one and then I'm on trombone and then Lucas James is on drums uh, and Matt Holmes is on the bass 
Okay. So Matt doesn't play with us live, although he has a couple of times, but I really wanted acoustic bass for all three of these songs to give it a little bit more of that like open jazz-influenced yeah. sound, and Matt just absolutely crushed it. Hell yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's get into Limestone off the record, which uh, I guess by now, when people are hearing this, the record is available for people to check out on the... Uh, on the streaming services and whatnot streaming services pick one it's there i'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can can keep up with it this is limestone
for having three tracks, it feels like the EP covers a lot of different sounds within the three tunes. And, uh, yeah, just a lot of different feels and vibes. Be like every, each song feels very different from one another, but feels cohesive. Mm. Yeah, I think I think they do. Let me think about that. So with Limestone, that one's sort of the chill, the chilled out, the chilled out song. I would say compared to yeah, the other yeah. two. And it's probably my favorite track. Good. On the, uh, Hell out yeah. Of the three. yeah. Cool. I like that. Yeah, it might be mine. It might be my favorite too. I like. I like it because it's smooth, you know. I would say I would say limestone probably is has the most of that Pacific Northwest sort of watery colors that we were talking mm. about earlier. Yeah. But it's about, you know, just the the idea of change and our own nature like so limestone is a stone, like it is a rock, it is hard, but at the same time, it's it's one of the softer rocks and it's where fossils form in. So it, it has the ability to like take an imprint almost. And so like the idea that like we are the imprints of the things that we experience in our life. And that was sort of the idea behind that piece. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, just the playing on the record across the board by everyone is really great. So talk to me about some of the, the other players that are a part of uh, part of the, this collection of tunes. Sure. We've, I, can't, I can't not start with Keith Cheek, who has been a really good friend of mine pretty much since I moved to Portland. I don't know if you know Keith Cheek or you've probably seen him play, I'm sure. I've, I've never met Keith, but I've seen him play a bunch. Yeah. yeah. Another just monster player. Yeah, and he's also a monster personality. I love that dude. So um, I met him, must have been at a jam session somewhere, and probably at the Basil Bar, honestly. I feel like that's where I met most people. And then we became roommates because he was looking for a room in Portland, and I was living with some musicians in Montevilla. Uh, actually I was living with Ben Zulsdorf at the time, RIP because he later passed away, which is kind of wild. Um, I've, it was so strange to, to have a roommate for like a full year. And then I moved out and six months later, you know, he, he left us and that was yeah, man. crazy shit. It's heavy. And Keith lived there too. Okay. So we became close because we shared a wall. So, <laughs> did y'all start playing music together pretty quickly we were yeah we started playing music together and i was i made a couple beats in my room and you know he'd be like keith come over play the flute you know play the flute on the tune on the track <laughs> you know and then we would actually but our our original bonding was watching game of thrones on sunday nights and getting uh october ales and drinking too many of them <laughs> Oh yeah, mostly Keith drinking too many of them. He would chug an IPA <laughs> like it was a course. <laughs> He's a changed man now, though. So if he listens to this, I will say, yeah. So Keith Keith played the flute on that. And he also plays tenor sax on the other two songs. But okay. yeah, Keith Keith's just always been then been there for me as a friend and you know hopefully i've been there for him as a friend another funny story with keith was as the the very first night that he moved into the house he called me at 3 a.m fortunately 
my phone was off, so I didn't wake my through my beauty sleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he was able to get through to somebody else because he uh, he had like popped a tire on the highway or something. So I didn't help him out then, but I've helped him out in other times since then. <laughs> Uh, who else played on on this thing, man? All right, then there's Matt Holmes on the base. So Matt Holmes, um, you know, just killing, killing player on the Portland scene. He plays electric. He plays upright. He does it all. I've, I've heard him play free jazz with David Barber. I've heard him play, you know, country, western stuff before and funk and everything in between. He plays with Far Out West a lot. And he, he just is the sweetest, the sweetest dude. You know, he's like one of those players that's always trying to listen and support and make whatever's happening the best possible that it can be in that moment. You know, he's, he doesn't have ego when he plays. He's doing mm. it for the music. He's doing it for the other players. And I think that is a bass thing. You know, bass players are definitely the best people out there. Yeah, it's a good person to to have around in your band, someone that just wants to serve the song and compliment everything. Yeah, dude, and have them around all the time. If you're ever going out on the town, take the bass players with you. You don't want the guitar players because they're going to be, you know, you're having a conversation, they'll be swooping in, having the conversation. Bass, <laughs> bass players building you up. <laughs> and who's on the who's on the kit? That's Lucas James, another really good friend of mine. We call him Mash Daddy because he's a wild man. Lucas is from the Bay Area, so he's a California native too. And he, you know, you can tell with how he hits the kit. He, he comes from a rock background, and then he studied some, you know, R&B and jazz in school, and then he's been playing in that kind of style in Portland. Um, so he, so I, I like it because I like the driving force that he plays the drums. You know, a lot of the jazz players in Portland, are. Um, I love their playing, but they're very light and they move around a lot. They don't mm. necessarily play like a beat. And I like Lucas's playing because he'll add soloistic elements to the tracks, but he's always playing a drum beat, you know, something that has like specific groove and, and direction. And that works yeah. for the music that I write. So, For sure. I think it definitely adds to sort of some of those fusion elements that come across in the music for sure. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um his drumming the because of that rock sound it definitely like makes makes it a jazz fusion sound as opposed to just a jazz sound. <clears throat> yeah, and then I think it works well with Corey too cuz Corey's like just ripping, shredding like he could just be, he could also just be in a rock and roll band like the shredder in a rock and roll band. Right, except like, for the notes that he chooses. Yeah, dude, like on oh, oh man. That first track is it forward thinking? Forward flight, that? yeah. Forward flight. Um yeah, dude, his playing on that gives me some Sonny Chirac vibes. Dope. Yeah. He takes a rip and solo. It's like really aggressive and and but in a cool way, you know, and then it comes yeah. around. And he, he yeah. I like his use of pedals. I know what you mean. Like he brings he brings that rock sound like with yeah. with his effects. But then but he doesn't shred like a rocker would because he is like using his fingers more like a um like a classical guitarist almost and because he studied guys like Joe Beam or not Joe Beam but Joe Pass like jazz guitarist you know and so and I think that we all kind of come there you know like I studied a lot of jazz in school but I grew up listening to yes super tramp tower of power earth wind and fire funk rock prog stuff 
you know, mixed with that straight ahead jazz, we get this interesting flavor that sort of walks between genres. Yeah, dude. I I dig the fuck out of it. It's it's a fun listen for sure. Hell yeah, like, man. Yeah. And like I said, I just feel like all all three tracks feel very different from one another. And uh you're talking about Corey fucking around with pedals. I feel like I've been to some shows where you've been oh, on some yeah. on on some some pretty wild pedals where your uh, your trombone no longer sounds like a trombone at all. I feel like maybe uh, maybe some super super secret band Dude, shows. They you cannot I cannot play in that band without using as many pedals as I can. They are just oh, masters of texture. <laughs> yeah they are definitely uh have the tones really dialed in amongst the the guitar players and bass player it's super nasty like psych psych rock is way bigger out here than it was where i grew up and so it's been so fun getting to experience what that means and like whenever they write songs they always have a an image like a story about each place that they're in and it's so fun to just keep that in my mind and then narrate it in the same way that like a movie score composer would you know right i mean that's got to be a great thing when someone can present something to you like that as a player where you have like a jumping off point and like a mindset to get into to to play on this tune especially when it's it. free when it's like you know like brill is one of the main composers and he won't have a part for the horns yeah you know and he might not even want to play the same thing every time so it's like okay well how what am i supposed to play that's gonna fit with your vision you know and i love how he describes it that way and i've actually started doing that like when i was mixing for jc proof i worked with gus barry who's also at the jackpot studios and like i didn't want to tell him how to mix it like because I, I i use logic like i have uh, some idea about plugins and stuff and like i definitely know what i like to hear but i didn't want to yeah. be like hey can you turn the delay up or shorten the reverb time or eq it this way i wanted because i didn't want to be too controlling i didn't want to limit him and his artistic creativity so instead i was like can you make this song feel like i'm submerged in a warm bath you know something like that like <laughs> that was a bad example but <laughs> no, no. <laughs> i think it works it works here the one uh, the one that i used for uh, the song that's coming out in december was like you're on a kayak in a forest on the river and then you crest over a waterfall and then you fall down and you're in like one of those serene pools at the bottom of the waterfall <laughs> and then he mixed it perfectly dan fuck yeah way to go gus gus shout out gus barry we got lots of shout outs <laughs> uh when did you kind of start tinkering around with with some pedals and starting to really manipulate your instrument into sounding like it was not a horn anymore that's a good question let me think about that i think i bought my first pedal maybe three or four years ago because i wanted to play more so what do i mean by that so often if the trombone's playing in the band it has a specific role because it's kind of like a voice or a, a drum you know i would say that the trombone goes back and forth between being one of those two functions so like there's it can't be playing all the time because you don't want to overpower the lead singer or whatever 
but I wanted to add a little bit more to whatever was happening. And so I needed, I I wanted to find pedals that would let me be more of like a keyboard player is how I think about it, you know? And so the first one I got was, uh, I think the first one I got was the octave pedal actually, which I started using with a band called the afternooners that I was in a while ago. And that one just be oh you know what it was because there wasn't any other horn there wasn't a trumpet but i wanted to kind of be up more in the trumpet range and so just tossing on that upper octave all of a sudden it was like one person could be two or three players and i really loved that you know it it allowed us to be more versatile and then you slap on the verb or i have a delay pedal sorry just like a boss delay here i got it it's the standard one the digital the standard boss the dd7 yeah the standard boss yeah man (laughs) oh yeah but just a little bit of that and then the upper the upper octave pedal and all of a sudden it's like it sounds like birds and then i throw you know what i do that's like the quintessential jeff chilton move i think i don't see i haven't seen any other trombone players doing this but i use the harmon mute with the stem you're the in. fucking guy dude <laughs> you're the guy that nobody I'm, stealed my shit i i'd never even seen th- this thing before seeing you play i was always infatuated but i'm just like what what is happening? What what is for for somebody that's listening and does not know yeah. what we're talking about? What what is uh, this this tool that you you plug into uh, your your trombone there? The Harmon mute is a classic mute. It's like a 1930s mute. So Miles Davis used the Harmon, except he took the yeah. stem out. Okay. But with the trombone, it just sounds better with the stem in. It doesn't quite work the same way. So it's a little bit different than how he used it. But you keep that stem in. It just makes it kind of sound old-timey and tinny, which you'd think wouldn't work with modern psych rock R&B funk. But then you add that delay in, which is you know the echo effect for the layperson terms, plus the upper octave. And all of a sudden, those three things just combine, and it it goes it becomes ethereal it just becomes a totally new creature God, you know dude. so fucking i rad. love it thanks dan do you, do you enjoy those more experiment like more experimental moments and opportunities just as much as the traditional playing you gave me a tough one there there yeah, i, I know, love was, them both a equally of- <laughs> that, all right i love all my children equally um, but but I, like I, d- I don't know. Do you feel does it? It's got to be like fire you up about the instrument in a different way when you learn that it's capable of something completely different than its traditional sound, right? Absolutely. It's like you are a painter, and all of a sudden you've discovered a new color that you've never been able to paint with before. You know, like a new. Um, w- wave of electromagnetic light that I couldn't see is now available to me. And I also like the pedal style because you can play less notes, you know, and we always get so caught up in chops, 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 you know, how fast can you play? How many notes can you play in this run? And as a trombone player, you know, playing choppy is always something that we're never going to be quite there with the sax players. And so to find this other avenue where I can create these textures and and paint in a way that's less about just like running scales up and down, it felt really freeing to me, honestly. And I love it, dude. And that's one of the main reasons why I love playing with Super Secret Band because there's so many open-ended options and it's it's always it makes it always exciting you know to be able to explore yeah. that fuck man i'm just always drawn ever since i was a little kid <clears throat> i've just been 
heavy drawn into the horn players. Mm, interesting. That's I, cool. I just Some think there's such there's such a game changer to any live show. Not that not that they need to be a part of every live set, but I think that there's no, just no, no. A You're right. They should like, be. <laughs> there's a soul and a feel that is added with a a good horn player that is just super undeniable. So to start getting to see um, like people like yourself and maybe a handful of other players add in some pedal work to, you know, an instrument like that has been absolutely mind blowing because yeah, dude, it's just a, it's a completely different world that it explores with that. And hundred percent. It's just super engaging too. I think uh, that's one thing I take away from you mm. as a, a performer in general, like pedals or no pedals. You uh, you always look like you're having a fucking blast when you're playing music, Hell dude. Yeah. Like you just look like you love it and you're in it and you're you're there for it. Thanks, man. That's a big part for me is is like I do love it and just making sure that I'm showing that, you know, like I'm not one of those players that's like trying to be real cool on stage. Like I think music is cool, but like I think it's cool because it's fun. And so I'm going to have fun. Like I can't help myself. Yeah, uh, that definitely comes across. Hell yeah. Dude, I was I was thinking when you were talking about the horns being a good live element, I think that that is huge because today and every day, you know, every year music becomes more produced and electronic. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But then when you get in front of a live audience, it's all about having those key elements that still make it sonically and visually engaging. And I love horns for that same reason, because you could have like a three piece band, maybe somebody on a synth drum kit and then the horn mm. player. And you, you have so much going on with that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It brings man. the soul, like you said. It does. It's uh there's a next level of feel added with with horn players, I think. That yeah, it's just it's hard to replicate that feeling because it often is that voice, you know, like you're talking about, you know, maybe there maybe there's not a bunch of backup vocals or like big harmony vocals in this band. Maybe there's no vocals at all, but then you 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 put those horns in, and it's just a uh, it speaks. Right? Yeah, you still kind of get that. And when I was in New Orleans, that was definitely something that I noticed too was how good the players down there were at making their instruments speak. And you know, you can listen to guys like Louis Armstrong, and you know, of course, the famous trombone player. And then Wycliffe Gordon is a trombone player who's a modern person that I really like. And both of those players are huge inspirations to me for their plunger mute use, mm. which is another thing that I like to do, depending on the context. I don't use that one quite as much in Super Secret or in R&B settings because it's a little bit, I don't know. It was great for funk, though. So the plunger thing is also um, something that has, like, deep tradition and, and roots in, in, the, uh, in playing. Yep, and in plumbing. <laughs> Couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah thank you for not i think that <laughs> every everyone needed that Jeff. exactly There's no question that that would have been missed and there would have been someone at home listening to this and they would have been like it's also useful in plumbing hey that's useful and i can think of one other thing it's useful in 
Well, I c- um, the plunger mute always gets the kids. Like I would play at um, Petite Provence, a little French bistro on Alberta on Sundays. Yeah. And there would always be kids. And whenever you pull out the plunger, that's the one where they're like, their eyes sort of roll back in their head, you know, because it's engaging. Right. Yeah, that that's what I'm saying, man. Watching you playing is, is usually pretty engaging for things like that. And, and the other, the Harmon mute and the pedals, you know, yeah, just keep on, mixing d- it up. Depending on the set, you know, right. I think that's, I think that's a fun thing when you've seen a certain musician play a lot and especially someone like yourself where I've seen the JC proof stuff. So I've seen like what you do, um, in your own context, right. but then I've also seen you play with a handful of bands that may or may not sound anything alike, like maybe tribe Mars right. and super secret band have some crossover. But then I've also seen you play numerous times with Jack, maybe project. Totally. And that's a completely fucking different world. Yeah. You know? Um, so I, uh, yeah, man, praise to you for uh for being an, an engaging player and always making the the live shows like just enriching them for sure absolutely man and sometimes i feel like i have a crisis of character but other times i feel like um you know it's all theater so it's like i'm allowed to be different characters in different mm. places you know like sometimes i'm like who am i like if i'm playing in jack baby and i'm doing straight ahead new orleans style jazz at a cafe and then i'm playing a funk gig and then an r&b but then other times i'm like listen i i'm an i have i'm an infinite consciousness you know and so what whatever i can channel all these things that's all just part of jeff you know yeah, and they asked you to be there, man. Yeah, That's all you, you got to go. remember is they asked That's you true. to be there. There you go. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Build me up. <laughs> I'm just trying to pump. I'm just trying to pump your tires over here, I, bud. I appreciate it. No, it, I mean, well, you know, I mean, anytime you peep, you get in, out in front of people, you know, you're being vulnerable, and it's Absolutely. it's always hard, and it's like I crave that because something in me needs to express, and I'm not living my fullest self if I'm not expressing. But at the same time, it's a little bit painful every time so maybe that makes me masochistic i don't know but it's half something's <laughs> happening i'm getting real here with you dan i'm sorry no i'm into it i'm into <laughs> it i like it I, th- I think you're absolutely right dude there's you know putting yourself out there is is a vulnerable thing to do so it's it's dope when people uh show appreciation for it totally and uh and connect to it and get something out of it is is meaningful as fuck when you have those those experiences those shared experiences right where you're maybe more in the driver's seat of this experience and getting to dictate some of it in your playing and other people are just receiving it you know and just just into it that way you know that's uh that's that's good shit yeah totally man and it's interesting how much those other people who are in the audience, even though they're not on the stage playing it, I think even the subtle ways that they're engaging in the music and experiencing it are reflecting back at the performer constantly. And I don't, you know, it could be body language. We could get metaphysical. It could just be like energy that they're sending at you. But I think that you could make that more, you know, scientific, like whether they're clapping, whether they're talking and not paying attention. But like that, that audience is a hundred percent influencing the sounds that are being made at any moment for sure and even as an audience member you know like when a crowd is locked in right you know when everybody like a majority of the people at least 
are locked into this collective consciousness right. of some sort, you know, and really locked into the rhythm. Or if there's, if it's a band with vocals and there's this like really communal moment where everybody's singing together. Totally. Those are those undeniable energy moments, you know? Right. And it starts to feel like whoever is the band leader is given the homily for the, for the evening, you know, given, <laughs> given the fucking, Giving the good the good word, spreading it up there. Yeah, giving dude. the gospel and shit. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's just a secular version of the same kind of emotional experience. Absolutely, man. You mentioned kind of enjoying stepping into like a super secret band session where you're kind of given a, a vision, a jumping off point. And I'm curious to know if if uh, that's kind of part of your composing process as um when you're doing things like jc proof or or anything else that is your your own compositions do you do you like a visual for things mm. or putting an idea in your head for for what this tune is going to sound like prior to to writing i mean absolutely like the more that people can do that for me when they want me to play on their stuff like for example you brought up jack baby band before he's mm-hmm. got this one song um, and it's about like demon spirits, you know? And so there's this a moment in the music where the horns have to be the demon spirits. And we, you know, we all go, we put our mutes in and we kind of play a little more chaotically. And I, I love that because yeah. it's like, Hey, he doesn't have a part for us, but he's like, this is the vibe that you need to be. And then, uh, same thing, you know, I was, I did a track with Luis. We made like kind of like a lo-fi beat and just talking about the vibe of it. And like, I went over to his house. This was, you know, before COVID and, he smoked me up probably more than I should have. So I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and uh, but it was cool because we were just kind of laying down a vibe, you know, and I just played and mm-hmm. then he chopped it up. So that was like an examples of sort of that free, open ended um, musical prescription as opposed to here's your horn part. Here's your horn line. You know, like I had to go record for Tribe Mars on like one track that they were redoing and there was already a part. So then it was like, OK, execute, you know, yeah, that's a totally different thing. For sure. But can also be very fun and satisfying um, and is still creative because you can always take a part and make it your own. But, I mean, you can't argue that that's less creative than getting an image and then, you know, turning that into sound. That That's another level of actualization. Yeah. Do you feel like that's when you're often uh, compelled to sit down to start writing something, too, is when you start to have some sort of vision for something or, or just maybe some, some real complete parts going on in your head while you're walking around. Yep. Yeah. So the, the way that I've been writing for JC proof is I play, I play guitar and that's why I always have worked with guitarists. And that's why I'm always willing to talk about Corey Hefner's playing so much because he's the guitarist that I will never be. Or really. So, I mean, also, you know, there's lots of great guitarists in town. I, I play with Zach Allen sometimes and Alex Mejia, who moved to New York. I played with him. But so I like sit down at the guitar and come up with some ideas. And then based on that sound, it usually inspires like a concept. Like I was telling you about the limestone concept. And so it usually doesn't start with the concept. It'll start with a sound, but then the sound tells me tells me the concept and then once i have the concept that's what tells me where to go from there with the sound so i get like the initial seed just kind of comes from an instrument 
Um, and it's gotcha. usually guitar. Like I don't start on trombone. Usually I come up with the beat, the bass line, or the chords. And then coming up with horn parts is like very natural to me just because I've played horn parts for so many years. So like you could send me you could send me chords right now and I could sing you a million and a half horn lines. I could work on them. You know what I mean? That's just like that's like my hustle. Um, so the proof is fun because I get to write the other parts, you know, but also with that being said, like, I don't write exactly what the players should do because it is a collective and it is a, you know, jazz is in the sound, you know, we're jazz fusion or I like to call it earth jazz, you know, because we're playing jazz music, but we, we sort of have these, uh, these metaphysical spiritual uh, concepts behind them. So I call it earth jazz, but I, I'll come into them and I'll be like, all right, Corey, all right, guys, like here's the chords here's the general rhythm and then here's my concept for the beat and then lucas will you know take my concept throw it out the window i don't know no (laughs) usually not that much but they modify it you know or they make it better basically because like you know somebody asked me my girlfriend's brother was a a, a, a wonderful singer songwriter and he made a great record and he recorded all the instruments himself and that's awesome and like stevie wonder is the same thing right and these guys are geniuses like i wouldn't touch them but I never wanted to do that. Like I've always been more of a band leader. Like I want to pick players that I love for their individual artistry and then tell them my idea and then see where it goes. And then that influences me. And there's this like constant back and forth until all of a sudden the end product you never could have fully envisioned at the beginning. Yeah. I dig that. Like that not only having a vision for their, in like an ear for maybe the direction you'd like the song to take, but also really planning like, Hey, Corey Ebner is going to be the guy right. that is going to give me what I want out of this. It's almost like being, yeah, like a, a film director yeah. or like a, you know, a screenplay writer where you're like, Hey, I wrote this part for this specific person because I know they're going and like be the person for it. And then you're writing kind of that whole movie with that in mind them playing the part that's you know? a crazy analogy that i've never thought of and i think is like so spot on because i know that they do that you know they write it for yeah. Leo, you know leonardo dicaprio because of how he says it and then the actor will change lines sometimes right you know they kind of right. they make them more fitting in the i, I don't know I've, I've never been i don't know if are you a film guy i mean i'm not a film guy i think that would be i don't think anybody would call me a film guy <laughs> are you a film I think guy I'm just, you know I think I'm a creative process person. I, I'm, I see. I'm most intrigued by listening to conversations about creative process and whether that's a filmmaker or a musician like yourself or a comedian yes. or a visual artist or a photographer. Like I just, I like hearing about processes. So I, I think I've probably just mm-hmm. maybe heard a lot of conversations with actors or directors and them kind of talking about this. Um, Cause yeah, then you're like, you're saying it's, it's like, uh, one thing kind of informs the next, I guess in some way, you know, like you picked up that guitar and then maybe you had some sort of vibe or vision in your head and then you moved on from there. It's just like, Oh, once, once you start thinking about this person playing the bass, it's gotta be this person playing the drums or, or something Mm, along those lines, you know, and going back to the movie thing, it's like, if you're writing one part for somebody, I think you start to feel like who's gonna who's gonna like counter them like really well. Who's gonna compliment them on the other side? And you start thinking about that part. Yep. So now, yeah, I think everything kind of just informs the process, probably. 
man, it's crazy how much different creative endeavors can have a similar process. Yeah. It's like all the same shit to uh, to a certain degree. Like No, but I think you're I think you're exactly right. I couldn't agree more. It really is all the same shit. And except and then it <laughs> it's also all completely different cuz there's not a blueprint right for it really. Yeah. You know? You have to kind of go at it your own your own way to some degree. So It reminds me of uh, a Dave Chappelle quote, you know, he's like all musicians want to be comedians or no, he said all musicians think they're comedians, you know? And then he's yeah. like, and all comedians want to be musicians. And then he sits down and he plays round midnight. And then <laughs> quest love is like, yeah, D- you know, Dave, Dave knows one song. He's been practicing it for 30 years. And it's round yeah. midnight. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. Yeah, man. It's on it's, uh, Dave Chappelle's like block party. I think it is. The block party is strong. Yeah. Oh my God. It's true though. Like I, I also find myself drawn to things like comedians or, um, I mean, I love, I like movies and stuff. I'm not, I'm not like super heady on it, but you're not a film guy. I'm not a, okay. Here's why I said that. Are you a film guy? I went to school. You like films? (laughs) Excuse me, sir. Do you watch movies? Oh, I've watched some movies, Dan. Let me tell you. I went to school with um, the other program at Ithaca that was really strong was the communications program. And so I was ended up being very good friends with film people. Okay. And they were, don't let me, let me tell you, they were film people. Like they were heavy. Oh my God. I could not hang. Like I hung, but I could not hang. I should not have been. You hanging. did You had, you had no terminology for it. I'm just like, Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna, you're like, have you heard of the Harmon mute? Yeah, there you go. Just bring it into back into my court. Bring it back into my court. Yeah, just like anytime we're watching a, a movie, you know, I'm just trying to say like really intense stuff about the score. Like, oh yeah, it was just major and then, you know, they uh did an augmented fifth and changed key. Oh, good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. But yeah, man. That's, that shit's gotta inform all all the art you're consuming has got to inspire like inform your art i'm sure like absolutely especially writing a bunch composing instrumental music i would assume that's even maybe even more important to some degree right to, to have a specific thing in have mind have some other sparks totally. or see something happen on a screen and want to react to it or be inspired to uh to write something yeah triggered by that totally totally because with lyrics it's, it kind of locks it in you know like it locks yeah. in what the piece is about yeah i'm curious uh, like as a listener of music are you more likely at this point to be listening to something that's instrumental rather than something with a vocal um there was a time where i was only listening to instrumental music um for a while, you know, I just went in really heavy on straight ahead jazz, making sure that I knew the lineage and the tradition, especially while I was studying it and then beyond. And then I came to Portland and, and, uh, I needed to learn more about, um, current people in the genre. So once again, you know, I was listening to Christian Scott and Nick Payton and, uh, Roy Hargrove, um, and just like, like really diving into instrument and Robert Glasper, just like really diving into instrumental 
jazz or you know modern fusion which you know usually has like hip-hop elements in it too call that like that's like to me is the modern fusion like fusion doesn't really exist necessarily anymore but um but now actually i've kind of i've kind of moved away and i i find myself listening to um stuff with lyrics now and actually some of the newer jc proof stuff has more lyrics in it you know we have like a female vocal and for a little bit we had david barber who was adding some of his verses so there's two two tracks coming out in december that have david barber on them so that's cool and now i sing love david barber oh yeah i know he's a sweet man and a good fucking dude yeah it seems like you've uh collaborated with dave a lot yeah well we were playing that that french bistro gig together and we were also playing the hotels i was doing the kimpton hotels um, as a duo, just trombone and singing and then guitar. And so he was the guitarist. And so we just became really good friends doing all that. And so we, we just naturally collaborated on a few different things, you know? Yeah. I was checking out that, uh, right before we got on the mics, I was checking out that constant state track. That's a good one. That's that one's up. Everybody can check out that. And that, that features David Barber on it. I love that. I love the sample, the vocal sample of that lady tripping on drugs for the right. first time. Is, That's such a fucking it's classic. It's a classic. Oh, dude. Yeah. I don't it was a uh, very good usage of that. Good.
of stimulation stay seated atop my soul and inspiration follow me to wherever it is i go once i get there i'll probably know but for now i'm still traveling down this road on the path to find a place where i'm in a constant state of anything mistakable for euphoria at the very least combined with the thrill of what the moment might build into if stars lined up and stimulations might intertwine with one another for a moment then maybe we could fly with one another through the current of the current situation that burning for inspiration non-stop yearning for stimulation a chronic urgency filling me with a drive locking me in the fight for the feeling of being alive you every morning when I rise, the same time the sun barely touches the skies. Got the fire in my eyes, cause all that I need to find is a constant state. Yeah, I'm, that song is about um, like our desire as humans to be in an elevated state. So like whatever it is that does it for you, a lot of people find drugs, music does it for me, um, roller coasters. The point is, is that if you're not in that food, if you're not in that elevated state, you're probably looking for it. And I think that our spiritual mm. practice is finding peace where we're not looking for it. Although then I might argue to you that that spiritual practice in and of itself is an elevation of state. So at the end of the day, I don't know. I think we're kind of doomed to be seeking a higher level, but maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. I don't have any of the answers. Yeah. I just got all the questions, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I dig it, man. It seems like you everything that you're doing, especially with your, your own tunes, have a lot of intent or like at least a lot of thought put into them. Yeah. And, you know, the hamster's and, running. For sure. <laughs> like you, uh, you weren't just throwing titles on songs for these instrumentals that you randomly came up with. You're like, no, this is, uh, this is limestone. And this is the vibe of limestone. Limestone is an experience. Mm, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, that, I mean, that, that's the truth. I feel like, um, I feel like it's cool either way, honestly. Like, um, to, that's the beauty of instrumental music. Yeah. You could write a full song and then pick a title that fits with what the song is. I just know for me it's helpful for the composition to do that part earlier because it inspires it. For sure. I was talking to uh this dude Mike Mo Beats. I don't know I've, if you know Mike Mo. I don't, but that but sounds really familiar so he must be a Portland guy. Yeah, he's a Portland dude and he's a really good producer and he was talking to me about uh, how sometimes when he gets someone to, to rap or sing on one of his tracks, they will often draw off of the title that he's given the instrumental and him not necessarily always putting that much thought into mm -hmm. it, just kind of like whatever comes up quickly. But it was interesting to hear how that kind of informs the person who's collaborating with him on it or rapping on it or singing on it, how that kind of just immediately puts something in your brain of like, Oh, this song's called like highway. Right. So 
It's about highway. Like yeah, now it know. is. That was a that was a fucking terrible. I don't no, know. No, I think I highway, highway could be really interesting. I mean, highways <laughs> have a lot of potential, you know, because they go to so many places. No, I mean, when you say the word highway, I picture you know a drive in North Dakota that I once took, you know, and I see it. It comes right to my mind. So just super visual, just brings up the visuals for Jeff. Yeah, you're you're sending. Yeah, exactly, dude. Well, that was mushroom tea I was drinking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, we passed it though, right? We're good. Yeah. You know, the psychedelics never, you never, uh, those can always change the lens of the, the tunes right? as well. You're like, this tune's pretty good. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Um, but I was, I was going to say that, uh, that guy, what was his name? Mike, he needs to be careful when he's sending a track to somebody. <laughs> um, you know, because if he names it, if he puts a song on it, oh yeah, yeah, and it's like for sure, he's doomed to get whatever he titles it as. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it's changed the way that he's uh decided to to put things out in the from that point. You know, after after kind of realizing that, I would assume, but yep. Um, but yeah, I just dig, I dig the tunes, Jeff, and I dig the thought behind them, and uh. Yeah, I think your playing is super, super fucking killer, and and the the compositions are are super strong. Thanks, they're Dad. fun, and they they seem like they have a a unique vibe to them, which is cool. Like I fucking love that last song, "Our Lament," and that's the one you have the the music video for. That tripped out fucking music video. I know which, it's it's dropping. We we were able to get um, Vortex to help us out with that, and I think the article's coming out uh, the twenty first. Hell yeah! So shout out to Vortex yeah, Music Magazine. Absolutely. Um, definitely appreciate them heavy, and people should definitely check out that video. That's a cool fucking video. Thanks, did you make that during during the old quarantine? We did. Here? Yep. So directed by Dan Kaplan who is an Ithaca College alum. So we, we, we knew each other since college, and he moved up to Portland from L.A. He was working nice. in the film industry in L.A., um, and then he kind of got burnt on that scene. So now he's here. Now he's here to do artsy things. So, um, And he shot it all on um, Super 8 film. So it's it's really gritty and raw because it's not digital, you know. He's out there. Yeah. We went to the desert, eastern Oregon. We went to the Painted Hills, the the John Day Fossil National Monument, I think it's called. And it's just like this wild space where you've got these hills that are blood red, you know, thousands of years of rock history, of earth history there, and just beautiful. I mean, you know, eastern Oregon is like another planet, I feel like yeah man it's it's uh it's a different spot but the video came out fucking cool man and it's it's awesome that it is it's not just like some filter some like vintage filter that is going on which probably would have been close and a lot cheaper but yeah it's 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 authentic (laughs) it is authentic but the video is great it's a it's a psychedelic trip of its own that's the idea, yeah. And I gotta thank Dan for that because we brainstormed the concept for it. So, I, so the tune's called "Our Lament," and um, I I read this book called "Sapiens." I think it's called a "Sapiens: A Brief History of Humankind" by Yuval Noah Harari. I believe his name is. 
I don't know if you've heard of him. He's like a New York Times bestseller author, but he I've I've heard of this book. I've heard this book mentioned. It's great, man. Times. It's just like a really good read, but it goes very deep into human history and it just kind of talks about some of the you know the reasons why we are the way we are evolutionarily, sociologically, and you know, a big takeaway for me was you know our unfortunate our unfortunate penchant for destruction as humans you know whether that's modern man wrecking havoc on the environment or early man hunting large mammals in all seven continents to extinction you know cuz that's facts and that's unfortunate this is not this is not a new problem that we've been dealing with as humans you know this is as old as we are which um is kind of eye opening so our lament is my mourning of our destructive tendencies and then the video we we took some photos that captured some more um, relevant things to mourn. You know, there's a couple goodies in the photos. I won't give them away, but Donald Trump makes an appearance. I will say that. (laughs) Yeah, dude, that song's fucking heavy. Like the intro, when it shifts in to the drums coming in super heavy, it almost has like, some tool vibes to it yeah like it gets it rock gets. very rock there not even fusion at yeah. that point <clears throat> no and it's it's very cool and uh yeah i just think that with these three tunes you really show like a lot of different sides of the band and also uh show different skills as a composer for sure so thanks dad i think this is a really dope jc proof release dude i'm i'm pumped i'm pumped about it i've really enjoyed like getting super uh super familiar with it since you started since you sent it to me and i guess like this week i listened to it a lot just kind of gearing up for talking to you and whatnot and yeah dude it just uh it's easy to want to to listen to again for sure like once it's over i'm just like down for it to keep playing again Hell yeah, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It, it's, uh, you know, it's it's music that means a lot to me. So it's good to hear, you know, somebody that's that wants to dive in and kind of chew on it a little bit. Yeah, and aside from those couple singles that you put out, is this kind of, is the JC Proof stuff the first kind of solo music that you've put out? First music that you've written yourself and whatnot i mean obviously there's a lot of collaboration totally. as we've mentioned as, as on the tunes and the playing and whatnot but yeah this is this is the you know the debut kind of mature composition compositional work uh, that i've done so i'm excited to put it out into the world and kind of make my mark in that way it's like an accomplishment for me you know i wanted to be Originally, the concept was for it to all be one album, one uh, 10-track album, and now it's gotten, or actually an 8-track album, but it's gotten split up, so it'll be, we've got the two singles that are already out, uh, Colloquy, the EP that's coming out this week, um, and then in December on the Solstice, we'll be putting out Closer, which is a 5-track EP, and that's the one that has um, a couple more tracks with David Barber on it. So together, you know, I'm calling all these songs, you know, JC Proof Volume 1, and it's kind of my first, like, cohesive mature songwriting um piece cool man well i'm stoked to check out the rest of it and i'll definitely put all the links in the episode notes for people to uh to keep up with what you're doing um it's been it's been cool to get to fucking finally hang out with you man absolutely and, uh 
Likewise. Get to know each other a bit. Like I said, I've seen you play a lot of music and always always stoked when I don't know that you're playing with a band that I may or may not know, you know? Totally. Go see a band and all of a sudden... Yo, Jeff's here. Uh-oh. Which band is Jeff? What's which band is Jeff playing with tonight? Because it could be any of these bands. Totally, <laughs> I'm not really sure. So uh, <laughs> it's it's always a it's always a pleasure to get to see you play music. So it's uh, it's dope to get to connect with you a bit and uh, chat with you about your tunes and just where you come from and shit, man. Absolutely, Dan. Likewise, man. Like you've always been a person on the scene that's been supporting the whole music scene, you know, whether it be booking shows or doing the podcast or showing up to shows and supporting. And, uh, it's good to, you know, finally get, get a conversation in because, you know, I've, I've known about, uh, Dan Cable presents for many years. So very cool, man. Very cool. Well, I'm stoked that we did it and I hope to get to, you know, maybe see you in the flesh sometime soon and absolutely hope to get to see some music played i know people are trying to figure out how to do some of these live patio shows yeah. and shit which is very cool to see so hopefully i'll see you out and about out in the world absolutely here, uh here soon think- but um yeah definitely encourage people to check out the music and uh check out that video and uh to, to give you a follow if they dig what they heard on this conver- on, like on this episode, whether the conversation or the, the music itself. Give Jeff a follow. Check this shit out. Thanks. Hell yeah. Um, we end every episode of the podcast with the guests saying the tagline for the show, which is, it's a program. So if we could get the Jeff Chilton, the JC proof, it's a program, we can properly end this thing, man. I would be more than honored. It's a program. He nailed it, everybody. That's uh, that's Jeff Chilton. Uh, check out the JC Proof music and uh, everything else that Jeff is doing. We're going to play it out with the last track on that EP that is now available for you to, uh, to check out. And uh, this is Our Laments. And that's the Jelly Jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland. Thanks so much for for hanging out. Dude, my pleasure, man.